With more than half of the world heading to the polls this year, political factors more than ever are likely to influence investment decision-making and asset allocation. I'm joined now by Nolan Varpana, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Anchor Capital, to talk about the firm's strategy and asset allocation for the first quarter of 2024, the year of the wood dragon, Nolan. Let's just start with the US election. And obviously the outcomes are being perceived as something of a 50-50 split between Trump and Biden. How is Anchor preparing for potential policy and market shifts based on either scenario? Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Um, it is in our minds very much a 50-50. I think all of the polls are indicating that all indications are it will be a runoff between Biden and Trump again. And, you know, last time around, hundreds of millions of voters and Biden won it with 44,000 votes. This time around, 50-50 don't really know how to position. I think at this stage, it's way too early to position. Um, as, as we look into the year, I think we'll get more clarity. But there are certain things we can say. And the first of those is that traditionally in a US election year, the markets have actually risen. It's actually been a very good time to be an investor. And we take we take that stance this year as well. I think the fundamentals on the ground are actually positive for investments and if history is anything to go by you do want to be exposed to the markets in terms of the details um, you know our current thinking is that trump will probably be a um, lead to a stronger dollar um, a weaker rand unfortunately i think that um, trump will also see the yield curve a little bit steeper it means interest rates probably a little bit higher um, not maybe not as good news um, and Trump's policies, certainly in the short term, are, are likely to be investment positive, though, you know, over time he does tend to pick spats with, um, with various other countries, um, does, which, which over the longer period might, might you know, into 26, 27, prove to be a bit more of a drag on the markets. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, I suppose, the, the big interesting factor, given uh, the worries around China and all of the China stimulus that we've seen over the last couple of weeks or attempts to try and shore up its uh, property market, amongst others, and, and what a, a Trump presidency might mean for continued hostilities there. But uh, that's anyone's guess. Uh, if we look at uh, the impact of elections globally, it's not just the US. Obviously, the US is the gorilla in the room, the 800-pound gorilla. We've also got the UK. We've got Taiwan. We've got all over the world, our own elections. How do you assess the potential impact on financial markets broadly and investment strategies of such a pivotal year for, for one could even say, democracy around the world? Indeed. Ultimately, for, as an investor, your, your question, the question you're asking yourself is, how much are the elections going to change the GDP outlook, the economic growth look, outlook, the prospects of a country? And the honest truth is, by and large, the answer is very little in most um, situations. So one tends to look through through elections, you know, unless there's a bit of a seismic shift. I think what makes 2024 interesting is we've 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 seen um, the Taiwan elections didn't go down well with the Chinese. Um, we look at the UK elections, and there is a real prospect of a sort of seismic shift given. Yeah, you know, the, the challenges um, that, the, that the ruling party has sort of brought upon itself there. Um, so this is a year that is fraught with, with danger. It is a year where it's fraught with you know, potentially um, bipolar type outcomes. However, um, from our perspective, 
um, it's impossible to call those. And the long the long term adage has been you, you you actually just want to be invested in the markets. Makes sense to be invested in the markets. So you know as as we watch these, as you develop more clarity, maybe make some subtle shifts. Um, by, by and large, it's all about making sure you've got adequate exposure, um, not not to be left out. Mm, yeah, as we saw, I mean, who would have been able to call the uh, Magnificent Seven's uh, thundering rally last year, which uh, makes me really question what's going on with the other 493 stocks on the S&P. But uh, it's a big week for those uh, announcing. I don't want to digress too much. The other big point when we look at the the macroeconomic landscape has obviously been the Fed. And uh, when is uh, the Federal Reserve and Jay Powell going to pivot? And everyone's just hanging on every single you know, minute of every single meeting and uh, and trying to, if you look at it, the market almost uh, getting ahead of itself, guess when we're going to see those rate cuts come. What, what, what is your view on when we're going to see a Fed pivot and how aggressive do you think the uh, the cutting cycle is going to be as inflation does look to be coming back to within a contained and much safer range? Yeah, yeah, certainly. The Fed itself, in many ways, um, pivoted the market thinking um, at the December meeting, where um, they came out of the meeting and instead of talking about higher for longer and sort of talking about chasing inflation, they started talking about interest rate cuts and timing of interest rate cuts. And it's almost sort of a paradigm shift to we're now in a world of interest rate cuts again. And I think that's exciting news for the markets. Big Christmas rally. Looking looking at when does this actually happen, um, I think the interesting point is after the strong market reaction, um, a lot of the Fed's members actually came out and tried to almost walk back what they'd said um, in, the, in the subsequent weeks. So I think the takeaway from that is nothing imminent. The Fed's meeting right now, broad consensus is no, no cut in January. Looking further forward, it depends a bit on how the U.S. economy plays out. And um, the U.S. economy has been particularly strong. I think we saw growth rates of 3.3% off the top of my head for the last quarter. That in of itself, you know, if your economy is growing at 3.3%, there's no urgency to cut. There's no reason to cut. And the Fed can actually afford to be patient. So as as long as the economy holds up, you know, interest rate cuts are, are likely delayed. Eventually, there will be technical reasons to cut. Um, the real rate gets too high. And when, when, when does that come through? Um, June is a good guess. The market's betting on March right now, so the market might be in for a little bit of disappointment. But um, so, somewhere in our minds um, in the second quarter of this year is, is a reasonable expectation. And uh, when we start to see rates being cut, uh, it does provide a tailwind uh, for a host of different sectors, one of them being uh, the listed property space, uh, because they are highly geared. And so I I guess, unsurprising to see a preference there when you look at your strategic asset allocation locally for domestic listed property, just unpack that uh, as an asset class benefiting from interest rate cuts. Uh, considering the economic conditions and the potential challenges in South Africa, uh, why do you prefer domestic listed property? Um, so South African assets are almost the inverse of what you're seeing globally right now, where you know globally assets are looking slightly exp- um, expensive. You're seeing um, sort of stretch multiples. Domestically, actually, you are seeing quite the inverse with a lot of um, stocks um, screening it cheaper. 
Um, listed property in particular has, has come off quite significantly if you looked at the last few years of, you know, I remember when Growth Point was trading at 40 rand a share, it's down, down at 13 now. It's been, been a bit of a challenging walk down to these levels. Um, you, you look at the rent reversion schedules, um, so you, a lot of the challenges you've had was, has been that um, they've got um, rental schedules um, that are agreed for periods. And when people were coming back to renew rentals, um, big discounts were being offered, and that just sort of kept um, eating away at earnings growth. We think that a lot of that is is through the pipeline. We think that the um, earnings growth is more likely to slowly become more positive again. Um, that that's going to be supportive. Um, and then at a time when um, stocks stocks are pretty beaten down, um, there's a significant earnings boost from interest rate cuts in South Africa. That will also add an additional tailwind to, to listed property. And, I mean, all of that does make for a compelling uh, entry point, some margin of safety in there, given where we've come from and the pain that's been endured in the local sector at the moment. Uh, and uh, I suppose, uh, yes, we, we understand the, the problems with local government and, uh, and rates and uh, levies and load shedding and all of that. But it's amazing how well our uh, domestic landlords have actually gone on with managing those uh, properties and maybe uh, been a bit guilty in the past of too much financial engineering have really got back to basics. The, the net asset value discounts are still quite large. Do you expect those to start narrowing um, as we start to see rates come down? Um, slowly and gently so. I think the point I would make is that our forecast view on listed property is an expected return of 12%. I would contrast that with an expected return on SA stocks and on bonds of about 10%. So from that perspective, we're not talking about screaming out performance um, with, you know, the discounts to NAVs um, sort of narrows quite dramatically. We're talking about a rather slight um, outperformance from an asset class that's probably a little bit overly beaten up at this stage and stands to gain as the sort of economic winds change. Um, so it's, 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 it's quite a gentle um, drift in favour of, of listed property rather, right. um, rather than what you're applying. Right. Uh, a gentle drift towards uh, domestic listed property. In fact, uh, most local um, outlooks are not great. And uh, you emphasise the offshore investment opportunities. Uh, where are you looking? What specific uh, opportunities and return profiles are being targeted through your global diversification? So, so, so by and large, I guess one might say it's the unmagnificent um, 493 in many ways. And, um, you know, we, we, we like U.S. stocks. Um, we, we, we remain cautious on China. Um, we've got one or two picks in the U.K., which, um, you know, have, have languished a bit through, um, through the higher interest rates coupled with um, political malaise there, I guess. So, um, you know, but by and large, we're looking towards the, the, the U.S. as opportunities. Um, something like Citibank, um, the CEO's sort of cost-cutting exercise um, looks looks to be um, taking off right now. I mean, the company is trading at a significant um, discount to book value. I think it's almost like 50%. And, you know, we're, we're seeing uh, the change in policy starting to take effect and seeing opportunities there. We're looking towards something like Starbucks. Um, it's been, been under pressure for a variety of reasons of late, but these don't seem insurmountable. And just as, you know, recovering back to doing what it does best, um, it's been a fantastic compound over time, and we expect that sort of company to continue delivering. 
And many, many more such opportunities uh, in that uh, unmagnificent 493. I'm going to steal that from you, Nolan. Uh, I really like that characterization because there are so many great companies that uh, just haven't been uh, caught up in, in some of the hype that has uh, really taken the Magnificent Seven to these new levels, all on the back of AI, artificial intelligence. Do you, do you think that's been just overhyped and overdone at the moment, or do you still see potential in, in some of the chips and semiconductors and maybe adjacent so, industries? We would find it very difficult to be short the Magnificent Seven. Um, you know, yes, they've run hard, but if you look at sort of significant um, changes in technology in the past, people have tended to actually underestimate the potential for such changes and the potential sort of benefits to the key companies. Mm. So from that perspective, it does feel like it's run very hard and on any sort of valuation metric. It feels, uh, it feels quite quite overdone. But when we actually look at um, history, it says to you, you know, there's a lot more in it than, than you originally realized, and just be patient. So from that perspective, you know, we're not cutting our positions, we're not reducing our positions there, um, maybe rebalancing here and there just to keep, you know, just to keep the position sensible, but rather saying, let's maintain what's working for us, and then put additional emphasis on the remaining 493. Now, I know it's very difficult to uh, to really position for geopolitical risk uh, because they're known uh, unknowns, they're unknown unknowns, all of those, as Rumsfeld once famously said, and who knows what's going to happen in the Middle East. It just it feels like it's really on a knife edge at the moment uh, with what happened over the weekend um, with the, the Iranian attacks on U.S. servicemen, uh, potential impacts here on the oil price if anything happens in the Strait of Hormuz, for example. How are you factoring in this heightened geopolitical risk into things like the oil price and the impact that that could have on the global economy and by implication uh, companies and their returns? We're looking at it sort of on, two, on twofold. Off, um, you know, there's always a storm cloud on the horizon. There's always a good reason not to invest. And the honest truth is, is if you'd actually just never invested, you'd have had far worse returns than if you'd, you'd taken some of the risk. So we tend to, again, look through a lot of that. We tend to say, look, um, you know, by and large, most of these things pass by and don't create um, a, a catastrophe for us. And even the ones that ever hit us, like the COVID, um, two, three years later, the stocks bounce back. So it makes sense to be um, invested in the markets. And that's the first message. The second message is the oil price is probably more of an inflation story. I think our concern is more around if, you know, if oil prices do spike, um, it, it slows down interest rate cuts both domestically and abroad. Maybe not something the market's going to like. I think the market's still positive, um, just somewhat less than it might have been otherwise. Nolan Varpana, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, so much more still to uh, chat about uh, regarding structured products and alternatives uh, and views on the RAND and uh, inflation and all of those good things that we're going to have to have you back on the show to uh, continue this discussion on the strategy and asset allocation themes and outlooks for the first quarter of 2024 here on Classic Business.